so glad today to welcome you to this program. My topic today is the Pope's Hidden Agenda. But before I talk about this amazing subject, my wife Beverly is going to come and talk to you about the joys of going to heaven. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. Happy Sabbath, everyone. In the July 29th edition of Time magazine, there's an article entitled, Will You Ever Be Able to Retire? With stocks plummeting and corporations in disarray, the financial future of many Americans is in peril. A large number of seniors who had planned to retire in their early 60s may now have to work into their 70s or even 80s. Someone has said that old age is not for sissies, and in light of what has happened in recent months, most would agree. It used to be that wrinkles was the main worry for seniors, but today they have to worry about stocks and 401k savings as well. Speaking about wrinkles, a friend told me once that wrinkles are a sign or the badge of distinction. In other words, a reward for getting older. But I say, I could do with less distinction. <laughs> In US News and World Report, they gave a retirement reality check guide in which they write that a large number of seniors are not feeling very secure about social security and the healthcare system. In years past, one could look towards retirement without too much apprehension. But today, seniors are either very scared or very worried or both. In fact, most people, young and old, are concerned about something. And there are many things to be concerned about. The financial market, where you have thousands of people losing their jobs and their savings because of the crookedness of once-trusted CEOs. We have an outbreak of the West Nile virus. We have a rash of young people, young children being kidnapped and brutally murdered. And of course, on the top of the list is the continued threat of terrorism. When you think about it all, it could make you want to cry out, stop the world, I want to get off. Guess what? God has such a plan. The Bible gives us the best retirement plan in the universe. God tells us how we can leave this old world and go to a place called heaven. As we read the news, it becomes apparent that because of the condition of the world, many people are talking about heaven, as indicated by the latest Newsweek cover, Heaven. What is heaven like? Perhaps the best way to answer that is by describing what it won't be like. The Bible tells us that we'll have no more financial worries, no more sickness and horrible diseases, no more violence and crime or terrorism, no more death, no more broken hearts. And think of this, no more sin, and that means no more separation from God. We'll see Jesus face to face. How do we get to heaven? The Bible is very plain. There is only one way. Not many ways, as some would try to tell us. 
The only way is through a belief and acceptance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's an old song that says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Without him, there's no other, for Jesus is the way. And that's the truth. Amen. 20 years ago, there were four great powers in the world. America and the West, capitalism. It was the great Soviet Union bloc, a tremendous threat to freedom. There was Islam with more than a billion worshippers. And there was the papacy, four great powers. Leading the papacy was and is a man of destiny with a supernatural vision. His vision is to bring about a world government under his authority. The topic today is the Pope's hidden agenda. Indeed, it is hidden to world leaders and to presidents and to kings and to statesmen and to theologians and to the vast majority of people like you and me. It's hidden, but it is not hidden to the prophets of the Bible. Today, firstly, I want to give you a prophetic scenario of coming events that will help us to understand the Pope's hidden agenda. Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Of course, there are Bibles in the fronts of the, in the backs of the seats. And uh, I would strongly advise you to take a Bible. This is a Bible reading, Bible believing ministry and a Bible-believing church. Turning to Revelation chapter 1, the Apocalypse, the last book in the Bible. Firstly, I want to give you a prophetic scenario of coming events. Revelation 1 to 3, the Bible says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. A tremendous blessing is pronounced upon those who understand the writings of the Lord Jesus Christ through the prophet John. If you come down a little further in the same chapter, uh, you'll notice a tremendous verse, verse 5. Verse 5 says, The message comes from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The blood of Jesus is the greatest truth in the Bible. We cannot be saved 
without the blood of Jesus. And the name that is above every name, wherever you go, is the name of Jesus. I want you to know plainly today that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We can't be saved in any other way. So the book of Revelation that talks about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast and the end of the world and all of these tremendous eschatological themes opens with a portrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood because Jesus is the only way whereby we poor sinners can be saved. No other way. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now notice verse 9 of this chapter, my dear friends. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience, patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The book of Revelation starts with persecution and a man imprisoned on the island of Patmos. It was my happy privilege a number of years ago to get a helicopter and fly from Athens across the blue Aegean Sea and come down in the marketplace on the island of Patmos. It is a wild, lonely place. And this is where the book of Revelation was written by an old man imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus. He was imprisoned and persecuted by the great Roman Empire. And Revelation ends as it started with religious conflict, the persecution of minorities and a religious dictatorship that has a secret agenda the same as the old Roman Empire. So I want you to realize that the events that are going to take place soon are the same events that took place when John was alive. The persecution of religious minorities over religious issues by the Roman Empire, which is still alive today. Would you please notice as the scenario continues, Revelation chapter 13 and verses 5 and onwards. Revelation 13 and verses 5 and onwards. Revelation chapter 13 verses 5 and onwards. Now I'm not going to give you uh, an exegesis of these verses, but I'm just going to refer to them rather briefly. Verse 5 and onwards. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nations. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. We believe 
on the basis of history that these verses refer to the papacy. Are we the only ones who believe this? No, this has been believed by the vast majority of expositors down through the ages. These verses describe the papacy, not Roman Catholic Christians. And there is a clear distinction. These verses are not talking about Roman Catholic Christians who love God and who are saved by grace alone through faith alone. It is referring to the system of church and state that enforced religious laws and that ruled the world for more than a thousand years in the dark ages. Notice verse three and four. The Bible says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he'd given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The Bible teaches that the papacy that lost control of the world and that has been relegated to somewhat of a minor role in the history of modern day nations is going to be completely and absolutely restored. Once again, it will do the works that it did during the dark ages. This is the teaching of the Bible. Now notice the second power that is mentioned here in Revelation 13, verses 11 to 13. Revelation 13 and verse 11 and onwards. The Bible says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Here is another great power that arises in the last days. This power is the United States of America. And the Bible maintains in these verses that when every other power has been knocked down, the United States of America will remain standing. The United States of America, born as a lamb in Protestantism and freedom, remains the last superpower. 20 years ago, the USA was only one of two superpowers. But prophecy predicts the USA will be the world's last and only superpower. We have come to this era. Now the third set of verses I want you to notice in Revelation 13 are verses 15 to 17. Revelation 13 verses 15 and onwards. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. That's the papacy so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, 
to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Therefore, the Bible teaches there will be a political and religious dictatorship that will rule the world before Jesus comes. Now, I want to notice with you the Pope's hidden agenda that will fulfill these prophecies that we have noticed. I want to read to you today the words of a famous Roman Catholic scholar for many years our leading Jesuit priest. This book is a number of years old and I read it because it is a number of years old. Because when these words were written, it seemed even more difficult to understand than now. The book is The Keys of This Blood, written in the days of Mikhail Gorbachev. In this timely and provocative book, best-selling author Malachi Martin reveals the untold story behind the Vatican's role in the collapse of the Iron Curtain, as well as the Pope's far-reaching assessment of the three-way contest now unfolding among the global powers. The Soviet Union under Mikhail Gorbachev, the capitalist nations of the West and the Pope's own Universal Roman Church, our winner-take-all race against time and each other to establish, maintain, and control the first one-world government that has ever existed on the face of the whole earth. The author of this book, who is a friend and a confidant of the Pope, maintains that the Pope has a great goal unknown to the masses and that is to set up the first great one world government since the days of the Roman Empire. Let me read to you what he says on page 492 if I may. 492 where he makes the statement. At his most specific, however, he insists that men have no reliable hope of creating a viable geopolitical system unless it is on the basis of Roman Catholic Christianity. And so the Pope's agenda with the help of the United States of America is to bring the world back to God and back to Christ and back to the rule of Rome. The book of Revelation ends as it begins with religious conflict, a totalitarian system and the Roman Empire without freedom. Let me read to you from page 286. The difficulty for John Paul is that the democratic principles to which they have bound themselves are about to swamp the system of underlying ideas by which they identify themselves and on the basis of which they desire to interact with the rest of the world. 
In their eyes, they regard and respect. They regard and respect for democratic principles, impose upon them the obligation, the religious as well as the civil and political obligation, to defend every person's right to be wrong. And the author goes on to say that this is something that, quote, the Holy Father could never accept. Because in the new world order, there will only be one opinion, and that is the opinion of truth. Roman Catholicism. In other parts of the book, Malachi Martin talks about the idea of democracy and freedom of religion and says these are ideas that will have no part in this new world system. You see, the Pope believes he is a very earnest, sincere man. Never doubt that. A very earnest, sincere man and a strong leader with convictions. The Pope does not believe in the right of a church to teach error. But what is error to him is the gospel to us. And so the Pope has a great agenda and this agenda already is coming to pass. The Soviet Union has gone through the Holy Alliance as it was called by Time magazine when the United States of America joined forces with the Vatican in their desperate attempt to overthrow the Soviet Union and they were successful. And so Time magazine when the Soviet Union was finally over, was overthrown, published on its front cover, the Holy Alliance, when this nation joined forces with the Vatican. And so his agenda is coming to pass. The Soviet Union has gone. What about the world of Islam? 20 years ago, I asked the question, and so did you, what about Russia? How can it ever go down? But it has. And today people ask the question, what about Islam? Historically, the Roman Catholic Church and Islam have been sworn bitter enemies. The Catholic Church organized the Crusades in the Middle Ages to wipe out the Muslims. But today, there has come a new change. The Pope is reaching across the gulf to take the hand of Islam. During May 2001, the Pope became the first Catholic leader to set foot in a Muslim mosque for joint worship. He visited the mosque that I have visited on many occasions, the Omeyyad Mosque in Damascus. And there he went to pray with the Muslims the first time in the history of the Church of Rome. And the Church of Rome, which has been historically fighting the Muslims, has done a complete U-turn. I want to quote something here from my dear friend, Dr. Samuel 
Bakiaki. Dr. Bakiaki in this article quotes the new official catechism of the Catholic Church that says, the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator in the first place among whom are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham. Therefore, the Catholic Church says, salvation also includes the world of Islam. I ask, whatever happened to the blood of Jesus? The Catechism says, the church has also a high regard for the Muslims. They worship God who is one living and merciful and almighty, the creator of heaven and earth who has also spoken to men. They strive to submit themselves without reserve to the hidden decrees of God, just as Abraham submitted himself to God's plan, whose faith Muslims eagerly link to their own. Although not acknowledging him as God, they venerate Jesus as a prophet, his virgin mother they also honor and even at times devotedly invoke. Further, they await the day of judgment and the reward of God following the resurrection of the dead. For this reason, they highly esteem an upright life and worship God, especially by way of psalms, arm deeds and fastings. And therefore, they are really legitimate members of the church of God. Why do you think the Pope has made a complete U-turn? Because the Pope needs the world of Islam for the new world government. It is interesting that the papacy and the Muslims have many things in common. The Pope says we have many things in common. Let me tell you some of them. The Pope says we worship the same God. He says the God whom we worship is the same as the God that the Muslims worship, whose name is Allah. But Allah in the Quran is a remote God and inaccessible. The God we worship is the God of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the God whom we worship is the God who gave himself in the person of Jesus Christ to become a man. Amen. And the God I personally worship is not the God of the Muslims. I want you to know this. The Muslims say that to say that Jesus is God is blasphemy. But we worship him and we venerate him. We revere him. So he's not the same God. And then both systems, Rome and Mecca, have an autocratic form of government. The Pope claims to be the vicar of Christ. These are not my words, the words of the Holy See. Muhammad claims to be Allah's greatest prophet. And so in both systems you have the veneration of human beings, sinful human beings, instead of the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Both systems teach salvation by good works. If you read the Quran, it teaches that on the judgment day, 
God is going to, during the judgment, weigh the good deeds and the bad deeds. And if you've got more good deeds than bad deeds, you're going to be saved. The Quran unashamedly teaches salvation by good deeds. And so does the Church of Rome. The Church of Rome in the Council of Trent said that we were saved by grace through faith plus the good works that are wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit. You see, my friend, they really have much in common. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We will never be saved in the judgment by God weighing our good deeds against our bad deeds. We are saved indeed by works, but by Christ's works. Not by our own sinful human works. But both systems, Rome and Mecca, believed the same doctrine of salvation by works. Both teach the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. They believe that when a person dies, he goes to heaven immediately, or else he goes to hell or purgatory. Islam even believes in purgatory the same as the church of Rome. The Bible teaches none of these heresies. It teaches the resurrection of the dead. Let me read to you a statement here from my friend, Dr. Bakiaki, whom I appreciate. The fires of hell are 70 times the intensity of terrestrial fire. This is the Muslim hell. The wicked who will suffer in it throughout eternity will forget that they ever enjoyed any pleasures on this earth. Their tongues will drag out and men will stamp upon them. They will suffer hunger and when given food will stick in their throats. They'll be given hot water served to them with iron hooks and when it comes near their faces it will scorch them. When it goes into their bellies will tear everything there into pieces. Is this the God you worship I ask you? Scorpions as big as mules and snakes like camels torment them. Stinking rivers full of vile creatures entrap them. The damned have black charred skins, huge long tongues, mouths vomiting pus and blood, entrails filled with fire. Their bodies will be greatly enlarged so that they can more adequately experience the torture. All, escape, all suffer by fire, although the degree of punishment differs according to one's sins. The damned attempt to escape, but each time the guardians of the fire seize them and throw them down again. Both systems have the same concept of God as being a God of torture. The doctrine of hell is nowhere, that doctrine is nowhere taught in the Bible. God's word teaches punishment and a fiery end to sin and sinners. But the fire will go out, but it doesn't go out according to the Quran, exactly as the Church of Rome teaches. Many things in common. Both systems have human intercessors. Mary, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. And Muhammad is the chief intercessor in the day of judgment when the Muslims come before God Muhammad alone can get them into paradise because he becomes another God on earth 
But the Bible says that there is only one God and only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. We have nothing in common. Nothing. Both systems have taught and practiced the extermination of heretics. The Bible says the Son of Man came not to destroy lives, but to save lives. The religion of Jesus has never persecuted a single soul. But this cannot be said for the religion of Rome or the religion of Mecca. The Quran says, The Lord destroy the Jews and Christians. Let his anger be kindled against those who turn the tombs of their prophets into places of worship. Let there not remain any faith but that of Islam. The sword is the key of heaven and hell. A drop of blood shed in the name of Allah. A night spent in arms is of more avail than two months of fasting or prayer. Whoever falls in battle, his sins are forgiven. And at the day of judgment, his limbs shall be supplied by the wings of angels and cherubims. Believers, take neither Jews nor Christians for your friends. They are friends with one another. Whoever of you seeks their friendship shall not Uh, shall become one of their number. Allah does not guide the wrongdoers. Now you say to me, but there are many, many Muslims who would never do any of these evil things. And that is true. You know why? In America, most Christians are secular. Most Christians on the whole in the Western world don't even know what Jesus taught. It is true in the Muslim world. And good men like the King of Jordan know very, very little about the real teachings of their prophet. And we can thank God that most of the Muslims are secularists. But those who follow the Quran faithfully, as you and I would have followed the teachings of Jesus, become terrorists because they believe that the sword is the way to make converts. And when our dear president, whom we all love and appreciate and pray for, George Bush says, it is a good religion. He's politically correct. But according to history and scholars, he's dead wrong. Now, Thomas Aquinas The most influential Catholic theologian who ever lived says this, with regard to heretics, two points must be observed. One on their own side, the other on the side of the church. On their own side, there is sin, whereby they deserve not only to be separated from the church by by excommunication, but also to be severed from the world by death. For it is a much graver matter to corrupt the faith which quickens the soul than to forge money which supports the temporal life. Therefore, if forger of money and other evildoers are forthwith condemned to death by the secular authority, much more reason is there for heretics. As soon as they are convicted of heresy, to be not only excommunicated, but even put to death. History tells us that the Vatican put to death millions and millions of heretics whose crime was 
They wanted to worship God according to their own beliefs. And so Mecca and Rome have got lots in common. And there's another reason why I could never accept the teachings of the Quran. And uh, you may say, this is a very strong talk. It is a strong talk. We're living in strong times and we need the truth. Oh, I get tired of the whitewashing and the lies. Don't you? There's another reason I could never accept Islam or recommend it or stand up for it. It's how Islam treats women. Now, thank God not all Muslims follow the Quran. They're as ignorant of the Quran as many Christians are of the Bible. And in that regard, it's a blessing. Now, the Quran says that an average person, a Muslim, can have four wives. A wealthy Muslim can have as many as his money or lust provide. Ladies, listen to this. And I, on occasions, I meet ladies who defend Muhammad. Muhammad, after his death, the death of his first wife, married nine wives, and one was a girl of nine years of age. Could you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ having nine wives and taking a little girl of nine. You know what we call that in America and Australia? Child abuse, molestation, perversion. And people tell me he's a great prophet. Yes, he is. One of the most evil of the prophets. A man can divorce his wife for any reason or no reason. And what is more, the Muslim religion teaches that in the afterlife, ladies, the vast majority of the inhabitants of hell are women, not men. The men go to heaven where they have the, uh, the virgins for their delights, but their wives go to hell. Now I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you. And I think uh, most of you folks here now will no longer be so sympathetic. I saw the fire. This is a, a vision that the prophet Muhammad had. You think this poor little girl, nine years of age. Muhammad had a girl of 12 years of age himself. He gave her to a relative as a wife. A little girl of nine? Goodness, when my... Daughters were nine years of age. They were just little kids. I'm disgusted. This is one of his visions. I saw the fire. And I've not seen to this day a more terrible sight. Most of the inhabitants are women. They said, oh messenger of God, why? He said, because of their ingratitude. They said, Are they ungrateful to God? He said, no, but they are ungrateful to their husbands and ungrateful for the charity shown by their husbands to them. Even if you men can do, continue to do, do, sorry. (laughs) This gets me so upset. It really does. 
want you to listen to this, Beverly. Okay, I'm going to have another go now. This is, this, is the, this is God talking to the prophet. Even if you men continue to do good things for them, and a woman sees one bad thing from you, she will say, I never saw anything at all good from you. And because the women are ungrateful to their wonderful husbands who are just counting the days when they can get to paradise and get with the virgins, the women go to hell. And so hell is filled with ungrateful women. So I would hold the religion of the prophet guilty of child abuse. But then, of course, the Church of Rome's had a problem there too, hasn't it? Is that true or is it not true? You know it is true. All of America knows it is true. All of America knows it is true. All of Australia knows it is true. The whole world knows it is true. But I wouldn't like to be a Muslim and be a woman and be feeling sick because the next thing I know I'll be burning for all eternity. All in all, Rome and Mecca have far more in common than their, than their differences. The same God, the same autocratic form of government, salvation by works, the immortality of the soul, hell, purgatory, and heaven when the martyrs die, human intercessors, the extermination of heretics, plus a few other things, plus a desire to rule the world. And they, the two former enemies, will unite. You say it's impossible. Uh, you said that to me 20 years ago or to somebody else about the Soviet Union. You said it would never fall. I don't know how Mecca is going to bow down to Rome, but Mecca will. But right now, Men of great power and influence are now working to fulfill the Pope's vision. A world government united under the leadership of the Pope. Patmos will be revisited. Revelation starts with Patmos. The remnant on Patmos being persecuted for the faith. And that persecution came from the city of Rome. History ends as it begins. What is more, it is believed that this new world order is going to be ushered in by a supernatural event. You know, when I read this, it gives me goosebumps. It really does. He is a Paul who is waiting, says the great scholar. That is the essence of his action. And in the meantime, he is busy in all the highways and byways along which the men of his age are moving helter-skelter. John Paul is waiting, but not for that city to be built in order, as it were, to find out if there'll be a place in it for him. He knows it will not be built 
at least not as men have configured it. He is waiting rather for an event that will fish in human history. Now this will give you goosebumps. Splitting the immediate past from the oncoming future. It'll be an event on public view on the skies, in the oceans and on the continental land masses of the planet. It will particularly involve our human sun, which every day lights up and shines upon the valleys, the mountains and the plains of this earth for our eyes. But on the day of this event, it will not appear merely as the master star of our so-called solar system. Rather, it'll be seen as the circumambient glory of the woman whom the apostle describes as clothed with the sun and giving birth to a child who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Fissioning it will be an event in John Paul's conviction of faith for it will immediately nullify all the grand designs the nations are now forming and will introduce the grand design of man's maker. John Paul's waiting and watching time will then be over, if not him, another pope. His strength of will to hold on and continue and then when the fissioning events occur to assume that ministry derives directly from the Petrine doctrine entrusted solely to him the day he became Pope. That authority, that strength is symbolized by the keys of Peter, washed in the human blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ. John Paul is and will be the sole possessor of the keys of this blood on that day. At 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. No, you ought to know. Don't even turn to it. It talks about the coming of the Antichrist with signs and wonders. They say there's going to be an event in the heavens that's going to involve the sun and that is going to give birth to the new world order and they're waiting for it. If not this Pope, another one. Listen. Step by step, the vision of the great designer is coming to pass. Soviet Union is gone. America remains the last superpower in the world. Islam and Rome are joining hands. The next world government described in Revelation 13, will come to pass. What message is there for me? What does the understanding of this prophecy do for my soul? You say, very interesting. This truth, if accepted, will guard you and me against deception. Not all religions are the same. Only the religion that came from God can lead to God. And if your religion is anything but the religion of God, it can only lead to hell. Number two, this prophecy and the fulfillment of it affirms my faith. I can see prophecy being fulfilled. I am not walking in the dark. Are you? And this prophecy awakens me to a sense The time is running out 
and am I ready for the coming of the Lord? Revelation 22, 12 to 17. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for all the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Verse 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen and amen. Amen. Let us kneel. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes and sense that we are in the presence of the Lord God. Our Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this tremendous prophecy. Even though it is politically incorrect and many people will say it's bigotry, we don't want to hear it. They said that about Jesus. They said that about Paul. They said that about the great preachers like Martin Luther and John Wesley. But help us, dear Father, to be honest enough and courageous enough and Christian enough to follow the truth of your word. We can see, our Father, how the word of God, the prophecy of the word of God, is indeed coming to pass. We can see how there has emerged upon the world scene the last great superpower the United States of America, according to prophecy. And for this to happen, the Soviet Union went down, and some said it would never happen, but the Bible said it would, and it has happened. And the Bible prophecy teaches that there will come a great world government without freedom of religion, a totalitarian system that is interested in power, not spiritual power, but carnal power, with all its pomp and ceremony. And as we read the words, this great scholar, Malachi Martin, we can see that the stage is being set and the actors are coming on the stage to fulfill their parts. We can see that with the rise of Islam, that another great power of 1.3 billion souls has entered the picture in a very vigorous way and how the Vatican is stretching its hand across the gulf and saying, you are my brother, come join me in a new world government. All of these things tell us that the Lord is coming soon. And that when Satan comes, as Malachi Martin describes him, is coming in with great celestial signs and signs terrestrial upon the earth, 
And when the vast multitudes of earth will be deceived, help us to hold on to Christ and at last to hear the words, you are my children and I'm going to take you home to glory. And they're going to say, this is the Lord. We have waited for him. We waited through the time of the counterfeit. We just kept on waiting. And when the earth was filled with the glory of the counterfeit, we waited right through there. And we have waited for you. You are the Lord. And you are our salvation. Help us to learn lessons today from what we've studied. The curse of religious intolerance, bigotry, persecution of minorities. The cursed religion of righteousness by works whereby people depend upon their own goodness to impress a holy God. Help us to know that we're not saved by any other name except the name of Jesus. That Jesus is the Lord, not Muhammad, not the Pope, not some religious leader, not some church, even if it is our own. But Jesus Christ alone, because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And today, our Father, we reach out our hands and our hearts to Jesus. As we're praying today, how many will raise their hands with me and say, today I worship the Lord Jesus. I choose Jesus. Would you raise your hand today? Lift up your hand if you choose Jesus today. I choose Jesus. Please lower your hands. How many today will say, oh Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a needy sinner. I'm not a good person. I'm an unrighteous person. Wash me in your blood and give me a new heart. Raise your hand if you can say that today. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. I don't have any righteousness of my own. I'm not trusting in my righteousness. I'm trusting in the man who died on the cross for me. That's why our hands are up here today, Lord. Take our hands, take our hearts, and at last, dear Lord, take all of us through the clouds home to the kingdom of God. We are waiting for you. In Jesus' name, amen.